You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, welcome to Be Humane on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Dr. Robin Gansert. Thanks so much for joining us this week. This week's entire episode is devoted to the 10 billion animals on our nation's farms and ranches. Yes, friends, 10 billion animals are on farms and ranches in this country this very day. And American Humane Association has been working on improving farm animal welfare practices now for almost 140 years. Yes, we were founded back in 1877 on farm animal welfare issues, and we were founded to actually provide for better care and treatment for the transportation of farm animals. At that time, it's when this country was building the railroad systems from east to west, and farmers and ranchers were transporting their herds across the country on railroads conditions weren't good through the railroad systems for animals at that time. So American Humane Association joined forces with farmers and ranchers to advocate for the first ever transportation laws, which allowed for better regulations for the transportation of uh, farm animals. Today, almost 140 years later, American Humane Association still is a national leader in farm animal welfare. Today, with our American Humane Certified Program, we now certify the humane treatment of nearly one in eight animals on our farms and ranches. That's well over a billion animals where American Humane certifies that those animals have been treated humanely. You know, our definition of what it is to be humane on farms and ranches is rooted in science and evidence-based practices, and that's clearly thought about through the lens of the five freedoms. And the five freedoms were identified way back in 1965 and are universally accepted principles about how animals are treated. You know, American Humane Association's American Humane Certified Program is part of our humane heartland effort, which is all about advocating for better treatment, better welfare conditions for farm animals. And today, with our American Humane Certified Program, we are truly the global leader in certifying the humane treatment of animals. And friends, again, we certify well over a billion animals on U.S. farms and ranches through our third-party audit system. Today, our episodes are devoted to two national events that occurred over the past week devoted to farm animals. The first is the International Poultry Production Expo held in Atlanta, Georgia. This expo brings together 30,000 people from around the world, all talking about poultry. And it's very important for American Humane Association to be there to be the voice. The second part of our episode is devoted to the food dialogues. The food dialogues are part of the Dairy Forum this year, and I was honored to be invited to be a panelist. The food dialogues discussion was about animal care and consumers' emerging expectations. And together we discussed, you know, the various tools and strategies that farmers and ranchers and veterinarians use to promote animal health and really provide for a safe food supply. And I was there and honored to be there. Uh, The panel was moderated by Elizabeth Leamy, who's an award-winning, an Emmy award-winning journalist, author, and you've seen her on Dr. Oz as a consumer and investigative correspondent. You know, both of these events allowed American Humane Association to share the advancements in our programs and certainly to share more about what it is to be humane on our nation's farms and ranches. We start out this episode 
with an exciting discussion with Hal Creer. Hal is with Creer Farm Fresh Eggs. They are located outside of Buffalo, New York, and he was a part of the International Poultry Production Expo. We also visiting along with Hal is Yvonne Vizier-Thaxton. Yvonne is one of the top scientists in this area. She's actually with the Center for Food Animal Well-Being at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. And so this is an exciting discussion with both Hal and Yvonne about poultry and eggs. The next part of our episode, we are joined with and Randy Krutz, who's the CEO of the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance. Delighted to have Randy join us for our episode. And we end today's episode with Jim Mulhern. He's the CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation and a very exciting conversation about dairy cows, uh, something I think you're really going to enjoy hearing. These experts are really providing exciting and enlightening insights into how it is to be humane on our nation's farms and ranches. Again, this is Dr. Robin Gansert. You're listening to Be Humane on Pet Life Radio. We'll be right back for an exciting and engaging and enriching conversation about farm animals. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be right back after this brief message. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com Hi, this is Dr. Robin Gansard, and we're coming at you live from the International Poultry Production Expo here in Atlanta. Such an exciting convening every year. 30,000 folks all in the poultry industry and the scientists that really provide the incredible technical advice so that we're raising animals with the best in animal welfare practices. And I'm here with some wonderful friends of American Humane Association. Hal, how are you today? I'm doing quite well. Our flights weren't delayed, so it was good. And that's right, listeners, we're in, uh, during the blizzard, but we're in Atlanta. So while it's cold, it's not nearly as dismal as it is up in the Northeast. And our thoughts are going out to all of our friends and our furry animal friends up in the Northeast. We're hoping that they're warm and safe on this very, very cold day. Well, Hal, tell me, what brings you to IPPE? Well, we are looking to expand our organic egg farm. And so this is a great place to come and see all sorts of different equipment and meet with suppliers. We can talk to breeding companies, companies that supply poultry equipment, uh, egg packing equipment, and you name it, it's here. That's wonderful. So I know you had some great growth that you've, you've seen too. Can you tell me why you're uh, growing your facility so much and producing so many more eggs? We supply the Wegmans chain of grocery stores with organic eggs. We started that in 2008. And since then, it's just taken off. Uh, It's incredible how many organic eggs that they sell through their 70 stores. We supply all their stores. Uh, We started building a farm in 2009, not knowing how quickly it would go up. The growth rate has just been 
20% per year. And so we've had to add buildings every year. We were going to take this year off, but instead we built two. That is stunning. And why do you think there's so much demand for these organic eggs through the Wegman grocery store chain? Well, they have a very sophisticated shopper at Wegmans, and they also have this incredible connection with their customers. People who shop there are just diehard Wegmans fans. They have food you can trust. And uh, so that's the organic label. They put it in their carton. I think people were just looking for something a little different and have uh, gone on to that. It's a brown egg instead of the white egg that the rest of the eggs in the store are. And so it's, it's just something a little different, a little fun for the kids to see a brown egg instead of a white egg. And it's, the taste is very good for them. We use a, a special diet. Well, Hal, I just want to stop you. Does the brown egg mean it comes from a brown chicken? And does the white egg come from a white chicken? Because you know that's what my listeners are thinking right now. Because we are so far removed from the farm, we really don't know as the American consumers. Generally speaking, that's true. And you can tell by the color of the earlobe what color the egg's going to be. Isn't that right? Uh, (laughs) That's wonderful, Hal. That is just fantastic. Well, Yvonne, you're one of the top scientists in this space, and I know you've been one of our members of our esteemed scientific advisory committee, really providing the science and evidence-based practices behind the American Humane Certified Program. You know, what do you see today versus what you've seen over your career in terms of the evolution of animal welfare on our nation's farms and ranches? Oh, my, it's light years improved. And a lot of it simply because of technology, new equipment that's available to do things more efficiently, better, and better for the animals. The environments the animals are kept in today are better than they've ever been. And that's from the small farmer as well as from the larger farmer. It's been an exciting experience, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. Vaughn, you bring up a really great point, small farms to large farms. Can you tell me, can animal welfare still be good on a large farm as it could be on a small farm? Does the size of the farm make any difference in terms of the condition of those animals? No. What makes a difference in terms of the conditions of the animal is just the, is management. I've seen small farms that were horrible. I've seen small farms that were fabulous. And I've seen the same situation with large farms. It's all about who's managing it and how, the kind of care that the animals are getting. The big can be very good. You know, I love reading your blogs that come out about every week or so, and you just are such a contributor to the dialogue here and into better animal welfare practices and to ag. What are the top issues today as you see the IPPE dialogue getting kicked up? And listeners, you hear in the background, everyone's here already chatting here in Atlanta. It used to be called hot Atlanta. Now I think it's kind of cold Atlanta tonight, isn't it? But what, what's the top issues that these folks are going to be discussing in the next couple of days together? That's interesting. Uh, microbial issues, food safety is always a big one. The environment, effects on the environment is another very big one and animal welfare has been a present issue for at least the last 15 years. It's the main topic. So I think those three are where the primary focus is. Well that is amazing. You know under your leadership Yvonne is one of our scientific advisors. The program that you have developed the guidelines for has grown 1,250% in just four years. So the program has gone from just under 100 million to now 1,250,000,000 animals that are now insured the humane treatment on our nation's farms and ranches. 8,300 farms and ranches and 1.25 billion animals now are covered under this third-party audit program that America 
American Humane created back in the year 2000. So I know on behalf of all of us at American Humane, we want to thank our science advisors for your contributions, for your input, for your leadership, because you truly have changed the face of animal welfare in ag by your engagement with American Humane, and we're forever grateful. Wow, thank you. It's going to make me cry. <laughs> but the reason, I think, for the growth is because it's stuck to the premise that it should be science-based and also practical. They can come up with standards that cannot be met by anyone, and that serves no purpose. So one of the things I love about American Humane is your insistence on being science-based and practical, which makes whatever size operation you have sustainable and good for all of us. You know, Hal has talked about organic eggs through his systems and his new barns that he's built to consumer demand who are asking for more brown eggs and Wegmans, which is wonderful. Do you see that uh, there are multiple housing systems that can be humane? Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think things like when we talk about choices, like organic versus conventionally raised, I like the idea that we have choice in this country. I would like to see more of it. I also like the idea that we have people participating in organic programs that are getting certified, like house operation, so that we have, can have faith that what they're buying truly is organic. And isn't that the truth? Yeah, faith in what you're buying it really is what's happening on the farm. How, you know, you're American Humane Certified. How long have you been American Humane Certified? Uh, since 2009. So you've been in the program for about five, six years now. And what have you seen with the program that makes you really happy? Well, as Yvonne said, it's science-based. And that's what's important to me. It's not just coming up with a number to beat the next guy. And that's what we've seen happen when it's uh, different companies involved. And, you know, retailer A tries to outdo retailer B. And it just becomes an escalation with no real purpose behind it just to say, I'm doing this a little bit better than that person when really is it better or not if it's up to the scientists to look at that and tell us what is better and we've made changes I've seen a lot of changes over the years just from what the scientists have said hey this is a little bit better animal welfare and we've changed our practices dramatically in the past over the past 20 years, I would say. You know, what I'm hearing are two themes that are really resonating. Actually, probably three themes that are really resonating with me. Number one is choice, right? Americans love, that's a core value in America. We love to have choice. And we have choice in terms of housing systems, which defines the price point for humanely raised products, which is very, very important. You know, another theme that I heard was what you just said, which is another very important point. You know, you're talking about expanding these programs and providing consumers consumers with the ability to make decisions and being transparent about it and bringing the science into the program, which is very important. And Yvonne, what I think really resonates with what you said to me is good farm animal welfare can happen regardless of the size of the farm. It's about how those animals are treated. And this is a changing process as animal welfare has changed over the past 20 years and even before that, past 100 years. Gosh, when American Humane was founded, we were founded on farm animal problems and issues with the condition of our farm animals, our flocks and herds. And now look how far we've come in 140 years. When I think about the history of, of farm animals and where we come, come from a time when people really didn't think about animals as having feelings or experiencing pain or other, if you would, emotions. I hate to use that word with animals, but it's the best I have. They were just more like machines to, to today where everybody is aware that they're sentient creatures. 
and that they need some respect for just the fact that they're living even and deserve a humane death as well as a good life. So that change is enormous. It's a complete shift in philosophy. And it's done wonderful things for, for the animals, but it's also, I think, made humans more humane. So it's about being humane on both ends. The way we treat the animals is the way we end up really treating each other, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any closing words, Hal, as you're excited about IPPE? We're at the very beginning of it right now. Any closing words and any thoughts? Well, just the, the standards of uh, how we raise our animals has changed over the years. It's been, I don't know if I would use the term dramatic, but it, it's, it's been a big thing. And initially chickens were viewed as just uh, they lay eggs and you have a vast number of them and if there's one with a problem you know years ago it was well that you just didn't worry about one with a problem but now it's more of a hey that chicken deserves to be treated right and if it needs a little special treatment it needs to get a little special treatment you just can't walk past it and, and completely ignore it Wonderful. That's very, very true. Yvonne, any closing words from you as you think about IPPE? I've been in a scientific session all day today, and that'll continue tomorrow uh, for a half a day before the, we, we join the big convention. And it's very exciting to see the number of researchers that are working in areas specifically directed at improving the welfare of animals. So we, I learn something here every year, and it's helped us advance and continue to advance. So I'm most excited about that. And isn't that a good reason not to put some of this into federal regulation about how animals should be treated? Shouldn't this space be able to evolve and not just be coded into law that serves as a platform for the next 30 or 50 years before another federal law could be changed? Now, I know that's for a whole other debate and another radio show, but Yvonne, I'd love to get you back on very soon to hear your thoughts on that. And that's a hot button topic with me. I'd love to talk about it. But absolutely, we need to have the flexibility to evolve as we learn more and one of the unfortunate situations you run into with regulations it's impossible to write one that doesn't have unintended consequences and we don't want the animals to suffer because of regulations that were not uh, flexible that is such wise wise words well thank you both so much for taking time out of your busy schedule at the international poultry production expo this is dr robin gansert you're listening to be humane on pet life radio We're coming at you today live from the Food Dialogues, and I'm so thrilled to be with the CEO of the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance, Randy Krutz. Randy, welcome. So glad to see you today. Thank you very much. It's great to be with you. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about what the Food Dialogues is all about. So four years ago, the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers came together as an alliance. So we represent about 85 different commodity farm organizations and some corporations in agriculture, and we really wanted to bring a voice of the farmer to the discussion about food and food production, livestock production. And we also know that it's important that we let all voices be heard. The Food Dialogues is the main venue for that for us in that we usually set up panels that are between six and eight people. We usually have a professional moderator, sometimes a recognized moderator, and bring all voices, whether we're talking about GMOs or, or as here, animal welfare. Uh, in some cases, we talk about pesticide use. And the 
hard issues in agriculture, antibiotics in meat uh, and used in livestock. So it's, it's important to have an open discussion, and we really want to be the organization where everybody has a voice. And, uh, but we also you know, seek to bring forward to the consumer issues around modern agriculture. There's a gap that exists for the consumer around uh, what they think agriculture is and maybe what it really is today. You know, Randy, you hit on one of our hot-button issues here with American Humane Association through our Humane Heartland program. It is that disconnect between consumers uh, who really love animals and want to be humane and what is going on in today's farms. It is a disconnect about knowledge, about practices, and about what the supply needs are to feed the world. And one thing that we always talk about American Humane Association is the size of the farm doesn't make a difference in terms of animal welfare practices. Can you share with us your thoughts on that? You know, it really doesn't. It doesn't make a difference, really, whatever issue you're looking at, whether it's sustainability. Uh, In fact, in some cases, large farmers can be just as sustainable and maybe develop programs that sometimes maybe a small farmer can't. But sometimes, at the same time, I would say that from an animal standpoint and animal care, it's so important to have the farmer look the consumer in the eye, have a personal conversation when possible, to actually help consumers understand the commitment that they have to animal care and the advantages of confinement, the advantages of how cows and dairy cows are milked and and what's going on in a milking parlor that maybe sometimes uh, we've experienced over the past 10 years, certainly, as the advent of the iPhone and and video, some difficult uh, video to watch that by no means represents the industry. And that's what we really want to get across. And that's what farmers want to get across, too, that, that we've had an unfortunate time, you know, a few times relative to video that's gotten out there that just doesn't represent agriculture. And farmers are so impassioned about animal care that they really want to show that to to consumers. I think that's so important is showing that to consumers and your food dialogues is an opportunity to have that create the national dialogue. So today's session is all about consumers expectations and animal welfare. How do you think this dialogue is going to go today? What, what do you see is going to happen with this wonderful group of panelists? And by the way, I'm honored to be on the panel. So full disclosure for our listeners, I am just feel so honored to be able to represent our viewpoint. And we're honored to have you. And the real, again, we're always out in front with the farmer-rancher voice. But in, in the case of the food dialogue events, you know, oftentimes we have strong detractors present. If we're having a session on GMOs, you know, there's always organic people there. We always want to have all voices heard. And we've, we've work to do that here. We have a veterinarian on the panel that has uh, immense experience in animal care. You know, retailers, we, we're, we're fortunate to have someone on the panel from McDonald's. So over and over again, this is our 26th event like this, and we get such accolades from the panelists after they participate, from the people that view the session. And we just think it's important. As an organization, we know we have to talk to millennials. We know we've got to talk through pop culture. Um, this this helps us do that to some degree. Certainly, we use the this is live streamed at fooddialogues.com. You can go look at it now or or in the future. It will be there for a long time, and uh, and it's really and how we're trying to talk through social media and to the national traditional media as well. You, know, you talked about social media, and American Humane's been tweeting all throughout the preparation for this event. And I know if folks are listening today to our show, they can go back and look at hashtag food, capital D, and see what everyone's talking about while this event is being live streamed. Isn't that right? They can. And actually, it is, it's always amazing to me how many people engage on Twitter during these events. 
uh, and and we'll have a live audience as well as be streaming. So the opportunity for a lot of engagement is certainly there and in the future as well. So we're excited to bring it to everybody. I think that, you know, the, the engagement from the International Dairy Foods Association is wonderful. They've helped us put this together. We're at their dairy forum in Florida this week, and uh, it's an important venue for, for all consumers, I think. Well, that's wonderful. As a consumer myself, I'm grateful for the opportunity to learn more and grateful for the opportunity to participate too. Randy, thank you so much. Thanks for your leadership and thanks for providing all of us the opportunity to be part of the Food Dialogues. Well, thank you very much and a special thank you for participating. Thank you. Listeners, we'll be right back. This is Dr. Robin Gansard on Be Humane Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Calling all pet product manufacturers and pet experts. Let the public relations and marketing professionals at Whitegate PR get you featured in the news. I'm Dana Humphrey at Whitegate PR, and we have been specializing in pet product PR for over 10 years and can get your brand featured in the media from TV to radio to print to blogs. You can find out more at www.whitegatepr.com. Pet Life Radio, the number one pet radio network on the planet, joins forces with iHeartRadio to put the power of your pets in your pocket. Awesome. Download the iHeartRadio app and rock Pet Life Radio on your phone, on your tablet, on your Xbox, in your car. Pet talk, pet tunes, and fun pet times. Pet Life Radio and iHeartRadio. Positively possum. Hey there, pet parents. This is Christy Vaughn, host of The Doggy Dish. Do you love your furry companion? Do you love making him or her healthy treats but can't seem to find the time? Great news. The Doggy Dish is the perfect show for you. Every episode is chock full of healthy and easy recipes that are made with ingredients you most likely have on hand. Tune into The Doggy Dish for yummy and healthy recipes for your canine kids. Every week, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Be Humane on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Dr. Robin Ganser. We're coming at you live from the Food Dialogues here in sunny Boca Raton, Florida. And I can tell you it is so warm and such a beautiful day outside. But it's also a great day inside as we can really continue the dialogue with some of our wonderful partners and friends here in the food industry. And I would like to welcome to our show Jim Mulhern. Jim is the CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation. You met him on an earlier show as we came at you live from our humane table, our congressional briefing that we held in Washington, D.C. on November 13th. Jim, so glad to have you here. Tell us a little bit about what your experiences are with the Food Dialogues. Well, Robin, thanks for having me in the program today. It's great to be here, and I'm so glad that you're here to be with us for this Food Dialogue session for the uh, entire U.S. dairy industry today. We're gathered here at the Dairy Forum to discuss a very important issue of animal care, and through the Food Dialogue process, having stakeholders from farm right through to um, retail and consumers discussing these important issues will have the kind of dialogue that's necessary to look at the various issues on an important issue like animal care 
look at all sides of the issue and have a very robust, lively discussion on how important this issue is, both for industry, but more importantly for consumers. And you said it all. It's so important for consumers to not only understand more about what is happening in terms of the animal care and well-being, but also to understand at the end of the day how we're working together to make significant advancements in welfare and practices on the farm. One thing that I've heard you talk about so much is worker training. How are farm workers being trained today, and are there opportunities there to work together and partner for improvements? Well, worker training is a key issue, and especially for us in the dairy industry, you know, many of our farms um, have hired labor engaged in helping with the milk production. And if all of the issues that I've seen on our farms, the one issue that I'm certainly paying more and more attention and focus on in our efforts on animal care is to make sure we're doing a better job training employees and supervising employees. You know, the unfortunate reality is on those few instances where you do have an animal mistreatment issue, it's often, when you trace it back, it's often from staff who have not been trained properly, effectively, sufficiently in animal care handling practices. And that's a problem. And as an industry, we're looking at that addressing it head-on. It's one of the areas in our animal care program at National Milk Producers Federation that we are focused on to provide tools to our members to do the necessary training, whether that's uh, videos, video training, manuals, sitting down with employees, having regular discussions with them on proper animal handling techniques, because this is an issue that is really fundamental to the operation of a dairy farm, and quality animal care is is where it really all, all starts. One of the most laudable advancements in farm animal welfare over the years has been your farm program. So congratulations on that significant uh, program and initiative across dairy farms. Can you share with our listeners what FARM is all about? Well, the FARM program, the acronym FARM, stands for Farmers Assuring Responsible Management, a program we started in 2009. Looking at these issues of animal care and seeing that some of the other um, animal groups are having some problems, and we knew that this was an issue that was becoming more and more important to consumers. And we also knew that our farms over the years have done, frankly, a very good job handling their animals because the bottom line is a well-treated cow is a profitable cow. They produce more milk, they produce higher quality milk, and that just all goes to the bottom line. So, you know, for generations, family farmers in America have been you know, taking good care of their cows because it's important to their to the bottom line. As farms have gotten larger and you have more hired labor coming in, there's a concern you might, you might lose that connection sometimes. So we developed Farmers Assured and Responsible management to be an on-farm program of education, training, and evaluation to assure that farms are engaged in good management and best management practices on animal care on the farm. To date, we have um, over 80% of the U.S. milk supply is shipped to organizations that are part of the farm program. So the farms within that 80% supply have an on-farm evaluation. We've been through 15, 16,000 farms to date have gone through an evaluation. We have, you know, about, there's about 40, 45, thousand dairy farms in the U.S., so we have a ways to go. But through the 80% supply that is enrolled in the program, over the next few years, we will get through all those farms, do the on-farm evaluations. And the important thing, Robin, is the results we're seeing in the evaluations that have been done are very good. What we're seeing is very high adoption of the practices that are outlined as the proper animal care practices that should be standard on dairy farms in the country. The good thing is we're seeing people are doing them. 
congratulations because that is a significant advancement and for all of our consumers listening who enjoy dairy products and I'm one of them you know that's wonderful it's a comfort to know particularly that the animals are being taken care of and there's a farm program out there ensuring that those animals have the best practices and the best treatment afforded to them you know one thing that you and I've talked about too is how the changes in farming have really resulted uh, particularly with better quality products you talk about the milk quality from 50 years ago and then today. Most of our listeners would probably be surprised by that story. Can, Without some of the technical details, can you share with our listeners about how really the quality of milk, the improvements in milk uh, has really changed over the past 50 years better for all of us? Well, Robin, it is a very interesting issue and I'm old enough to go back to, I started in the dairy industry in the late 1970s working for family farmers in, in the Midwest, in Wisconsin and surrounding states. And I remember vividly working with farmers. I was doing uh, communications for a cooperative, working with all kinds of issues and all kinds of farmers. And um, I remember there are certain measurements that we have of milk quality. And, and these were from you know small family farms in the that point, late 70s, early 80s, doing the best job using you know the best technology available to produce milk from from their cows. You fast forward to today, and what we've learned in terms of the importance of cow comfort as just one issue, taking better care of cows, having you know sand beds for them to sleep on dry stalls. Fundamentally, some really simple stuff, but a, a laser focus on an issue like cow comfort. It could because they understand I love that phrase, well, cow comfort. it's what it's all about. <laughs> yes. A stressed animal, whether it's a dairy cow, a beef animal, a pig, a chicken, a stressed animal is not a healthy animal, and an, a, an animal that's not healthy is not a productive animal. In dairy in particular, what we know is that cow comfort is central to high high milk production and quality milk production. The indicators of what makes quality milk, milk that um, has higher nutritional content and has a longer life, is directly related to the care and comfort of that animal and the cleanliness of the environment that it's where it's produced in. So today, consumers, frankly, and this is not a well-known fact, consumers are enjoying consuming the highest quality milk probably in human history. On farms across the country, they have lower levels of the, the issue, the term is somatic cell counts, and I won't get into the details of that, but a lower somatic cell count in the milk is a direct relationship to the health of the animal, and it's a direct relationship to the quality of the milk, its productivity for making various products, as well as its shelf life. And we have the lowest somatic cell counts in milk today of any time in the modern dairy industry, and I think that would suggest any time in history since we've been milking cows for consumption. So that's a direct result of people understanding how important it is to take good care of these animals, because that really is what what you're in the business for. That's beautiful. You know, when this country, we're blessed with a safe, affordable, and an abundant food supply. And what I especially love hearing from leaders like you in the space is the advancements in animal welfare are also resulting in this healthy food supply being available for our families and for next generations. And it's not a story that you always hear, and it's a complicated story, so I may have lost some people in that in that brief description, or that lengthy description, perhaps, but it is a fundamental fact for every single dairy farmer across the country. You want to be taking the best care you possibly can of your animals because that's your livelihood. So beyond the moral imperative of taking care of your animals, it's a bottom-line business imperative. A healthy cow produces more milk, better quality milk, and that's really what you're in the business for. 
It's fantastic. You know, we've heard today from Hal Crerer with Crerer Farm Fresh Eggs and Crerer Supplies to the Wegmans grocery store chain and truly an incredible egg for those of you that have Wegmans in your hometowns. Yvonne Vizier-Thaxton, one of the top scientific experts, and she serves on the Humane Heartland Scientific Advisory Committee. And we are honored that Dr. Thaxton has provided so much in terms of her insights into how we build our science-based standards to ensure that we're providing animals within our care humane lives. Very, very important. You've also heard from Randy Kretz, who's the CEO of the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance. Delighted to have Randy be part of our show, and a special thanks to Randy for inviting American Humane Association to be part of the Food Dialogues. If you are interested into learning more and to watching the Food Dialogues, the actual live streamed event, you can visit fooddialogues.com slash events and you can see the Dairy Forums event from January 28th of 2015. And again, I was joined on the panel with Jim Mulhorn, the President and CEO of National Milk Producers Federation, Dr. Marcia Andreas, a PhD and a DVM, Professor of Dairy Science from the University of Minnesota, Mike Reddy, the Senior VP of Corporate Affairs at Laprino Foods, Chuck Allum, the dairy farmer from Hillmar Jerseys in Hillmar, California, Bruce Feinberg, the Global Animal Health and Welfare Officer from McDonald's. And I can tell you, if you're interested in learning more about the condition of animals on our nation's farms and ranches, the Food Dialogue's a terrific place to be part of and to engage with as part of the national conversation. And of course, we closed out today's show with Jim Mulhern, all about really the condition of dairy cows in our country. And congratulations to Jim for the advancements of the new farm program, which he described in today's episode. Well, friends, if you are interested in learning more about American Humane Association and our Humane Heartland program, feel free to visit humaneheartland.org. And on that site, you can meet our scientific advisors. You can see what producers that are providing food in our grocery stores that have been certified by American Humane Association or American Humane Certified Program. You can also, if you're interested, see in our standards, review our standards. We're very transparent with our scientific advisory committee and our standards. They're all provided for you on humaneheartland.org site. And again, our standards that we develop across all farm animals ensure that those animals are treated humanely. And that's very important. An American Humane Association defines what it is to be humane through science and evidence-based practices as built by the leading experts, scientists, veterinarians, and ethicists who help us to determine what it is to be humane. Thank you, my friends, for listening to this week's episode. Thank you for taking a moment to learn more about the humane treatment of animals on our nation's farms and ranches. You know, American Humane Association believes fundamentally that no matter where an animal is in society, whether it's our animals in our homes, animals in service to our country, animals in entertainment, and animals on farms and ranches, that all animals deserve to be humanely treated. It's because of you, our friends and our listeners and supporters, that we're able to make this happen. We're able together to build a more humane world. Well, friends, we look forward to next week's episode of Be Humane on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Dr. Robin Gansert, wishing you and your friends, furry and otherwise, a wonderful week. And let's remember to be humane. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.